When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike, and in honor of Super Bowl week or whenever you're listening to this episode, I want to take you on a history of the best football films of all time. I'll give you my top 10, what you voted as the best on social media, and then together we'll try to figure out what happened to the genre. And in the movie review, I want to talk about the new M. Night Shyamalan movie that I've been looking forward to, Knock at the Cabin, and figure out if he got back to his roots. And in the trailer park, a movie I've been waiting waiting to talk about cocaine bear and the bizarre way this is actually based on a true story thank you for being subscribed and listening to the podcast every single week shout out to the movie crew especially those listening on monday which is release day and now let's talk movies in a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast a man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. On any journey through history, in order to figure out where you are going, you have to know where you've been. And that's what I want to talk about on this week's episode. Before we talk about football movies, we have to talk about the history of football in America. So that's where this journey is going to start. In the U.S., football originated from the sports, soccer, and rugby. The first American football game ever was played on November 6th, 1869 between two college teams, Rutgers and Princeton, and they used rules based on soccer at that time. For the next 50 years, they played the game, but it was a pretty brutal game. A lot of the rule changes really just came down to not only keeping players healthy, but keeping them alive. It was a very violent game to the point that Theodore Roosevelt, who was president at this time, almost had to stop the game from being played due to so many deaths. So in response to that, they finally got some rule changes made and made the game safer for players. Fast forward to 1920, where the professional era started. Ten football teams gathered in Canton, Ohio, and created what is now known as the NFL. But I want to know when they started making money. The first big NFL contract, Red Grange, who joined the NFL with the Chicago Bears in 1925, 
with a salary right around $100,000 when all was said and done, which was insane at the time because the average player's salary was about $100 per game or less. And that didn't change for a while, even up until the late 1950s, Baltimore Colts players got paid in beer after games. So around this time, players started demanding a league minimum, but nobody was really listening. The average player was still making about $6,000 per season. It wasn't until the 70s where owners finally agreed that players would make a minimum of $9,000 for rookies and $10,000 for veterans. And the salaries started to increase in the 70s. Fast forward to 2023, the average NFL salary is close to $2.7 million. So why do I tell you all this? How does this connect to movies? Well, it's because of money. And even though baseball is still referred to as America's pastime, the most popular sport in the United States is football and the rise in popularity greatly has to do with all of the games being televised and the amount of money that the NFL makes through revenue on TV that easily transfers into film. So you can say that football has always just had a great relationship with the camera. So that's where movies come in. And we actually have to go back to the first ever football movie, which came out in 1921. It was called Two Minutes to Go, and it was a silent sports drama about a star of the college football team who was forced to work as a milkman when his father's business began to fail. That movie came out on October 17th, 1921. It was 60 minutes long and ran on six reels. So back when they put the film reels on the projector, but there were still no sound at this time. It was a silent film and two minutes to go was never preserved. It is actually now known as a lost film. You can't find it anywhere, but just four years later, a movie called The Freshman came out in 1925, which is another silent movie, but this one is a comedy about the story of a college freshman trying to become popular by joining the school's football team. And you can actually watch this movie on HBO Max. And The Freshman is often referred to now as the first football movie and sports comedy. These are the top 10 highest grossing football movies according to Box Office Mojo. At number 10 is Friday Night Lights making $61 million. At number 9 is Ace Ventura Pet Detective making $72 million, which some would argue is not a football movie, even though the entire thing is about him trying to find the missing mascot of the Miami Dolphins, which I would say is essential to the plot, so I would call it a football movie. That comes in at number 9. At number 8 is Any Given Sunday making $75 million. At number 7 is Heaven Can Wait, which made $81 million. At number 6 is The Game Plan, with The Rock making $90 million. Rounding out the top five, at number five, Remember the Titans making $115 million. At number four, Jerry Maguire making $153 million, which I feel like some people would still argue that even that movie is not a football movie. I would count it. I enjoy that movie, and I'm not even the biggest Tom Cruise fan. At number three is The Longest Yard, the 2005 version, making $158 million. At number two, Adam Sandler again with The Waterboy making $161 million. And at number one is The Blind Side, making $255 million at the box office. And that is pretty impressive knowing that the movie only cost... $29 million to make, so that was definitely a good return on that investment. It also picked up a Best Picture nomination, and Sandra Bullock won her very first Oscar for Best Actress back in 2009. And looking at these box office numbers, it raises the question for me, what happened to football movies? 
Nothing of note has come out in the last five years. Before you get all up in arms, yes, some football movies have come out, but nothing that would even be in the category of the best of all time. When football continues to dominate the TV ratings, why haven't we had a great football movie? There hasn't been one in the last five years, and only two of note have come out in the last 10 years, and both came out in 2014 when The Game Stands Tall made $30 million, and also in 2014 Draft Day made $28 million. Just a couple years ago, American Underdog came out, which was a story about Kurt Warner. I thought that was a pretty good movie, not a great football movie by any means. I also just have a problem whenever a biopic gets made about a person who is still living. And this one also felt a little bit lifetime movie to me, even though the story of Kurt Warner is great, felt a little bit too fluffy for me and slightly on the overdramatic side, even though I love Kurt Warner and I love Zachary Levy in that movie. And I know we just had another football movie come out, 80 for Brady, which I haven't seen yet. Doesn't really look like my cup of tea, but I also don't feel like that is ending up on anybody's list unless you're just that diehard of a Tom Brady fan. Also a little bit sus that it came out right around the time he decided to announce his retirement. So if there hasn't been a great football movie in so long, why is that? So that's the question. Why hasn't there been a great one in the last five years? I think to answer that, you have to look at what makes football movies great. I truly believe it is because of the underdog stories. Those are the ones that resonate with us the most. The stories about the characters you would never expect to achieve greatness in football. Sometimes they don't even win the biggest game. Sometimes they don't really make it all the way to the top. It's just having this small little moral victory that really inspires a great football movie. So I think a great football movie kind of goes a step further. It becomes less about the game of football and more about life, more about social issues, and more about those moral victories. That is what gets you in the feels. That is what makes you want to watch a football movie over and over again. It also gets people who maybe don't even typically like to sit down and watch a movie into the idea of watching one. In this case, most likely guys. A lot of guys I know haven't seen a movie in the last 10 years, but you get to talking about football movies and they are all in. They not only have their favorite movie, they have their favorite line, their favorite character. No matter what level of movie fan you are, you probably have a favorite football movie. The other great thing about football movies, the team you want to win usually wins, not like in real life. So as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I love watching a football movie where the team I'm rooting for actually wins. So I went to social media and I asked the question, what is the greatest football movie of all time? Here's what you said online. I took answers from Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And number one, hands down, it wasn't even close, was Remember the Titans. We are the Titans, we are the Titans, Titans, Titans. Based on the true story of Coach Boone's efforts to try to integrate a high school football team in 1971, Virginia. This movie had it all, a very charming young cast with one of the greatest actors of all time, Denzel Washington. And I think why this movie resonates so much is that it doesn't shy away from the racist history of America in education and in sports and the hardships that all the different players face in this movie and how they come together is one of the most inspiring stories, not only in sports films, but in any genre of movie. So I'm not entirely surprised by this outcome. It's just really seeing the overwhelming dominance of this one coming in as number one. 
I wasn't expecting the volume of that response. But rounding out the top five, as voted by you, at number five was The Replacements, at number four was We Are Marshall, at number three was The Blind Side, and at number two was Rudy. So I think everything in that top five really embodies what we've been talking about here of what makes football movies great. We Are Marshall. Now that is an emotional one. And that one kind of transcends the football genre since it is based on a true story and how Marshall University rebuilt itself after that crash in 1970, leaving 37 players dead along with eight members of the coaching staff and 25 boosters. So I feel like that movie is less about football and more about a community coming together in crisis. So I do want to share with you my top 10 football movies of all time. And two things you'll see in my list, I'm a fan of comedies. I think football movies and comedy go hand in hand when paired together. I'm also biased towards movies that came out in the 90s and are ones that I grew up with as a kid, but I also love me some dramas too. So I feel like this list has a little bit of everything, kicking it off with number 10 from 1986, Lucas, about a 14-year-old boy named, well, Lucas, who is this really bright teenager, but he's a nerd. I identify with that. I was a nerd in every phase of my life through school and even now. So the story centers around his life at school, him getting bullied, him falling for a girl and trying to impress her by joining the high school football team. So maybe the primary focus isn't on football, but it's about a nerd like me trying to be accepted by his peers, trying to show his bullies that he's not going to stand down and trying to land the girl of his teenage dreams, and the movie has one of my favorite slow claps into freeze frames in movie history at the very end where he finally gets that jersey with his name on it. So you gotta give it up for a slow clap, and at number 10 is Lucas. At number nine from 2009 is The Blind Side, which is the true story of Michael Orr, who was a homeless and traumatized boy based on a true story and went on to become an All-American football player and first round NFL draft pick with the help of the Tuies. And I feel like this movie would rank higher on my list if it wasn't for Michael Orr really not liking his portrayal in this movie and some of the creative liberties they took with this story. Maybe they Hollywood his story up just a little bit, but you can't deny the performances in this movie. I still believe that Sandra Bullock deserved her Oscar for Best Actress. I rewatched it recently and still like it. So at number nine is The Blind Side. At number eight, gotta throw a comedy in here. I'm going with The Waterboy from 1988 about Bobby Boucher who discovers his unique tackling ability and becomes a member of the team. Along the same lines of Adam Sandler's other movie, Happy Gilmore, I feel like Bobby Boucher has that same energy of just going all out for it. I also felt like this almost closed out Adam Sandler's run of creating very funny standalone characters. It's easily in his top three, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, and Bobby Boucher. So at number eight is The Waterboy. Number seven is the movie I talked about earlier, We Are Marshall, which came out in 2006 because of the nature of it being based on a true story, but also because of Matthew McConaughey, who had an interesting career in the 2000s where he was battling. He didn't want to be known as the rom-com guy anymore, and he did some pretty questionable roles in the 2000s, but I feel like this was his bright spot. 2006, he 
dominated this role and really brought this coach to life. He is just so convincing in the way he speaks and the way you're drawn to every single word that he says. It really makes for a captivating performance. So this movie could have done it on the story alone, but Matthew McConaughey, I felt, really elevated it. So at number seven is We Are Marshall. At number six, I'm going with 1993's Rudy. The ultimate underdog story. Rudy was told he was too small to play college football, but this guy was determined. Almost so determined to the point of like, why are you so relentless? But you had to be that relentless to get a movie made after you. All Rudy wants to do, all he thinks about, he goes to sleep, he dreams about it, he wants to play on Notre Dame. I still believe that this remains Sean Astin's most iconic role. I associate him with Rudy before I do with him in The Goonies or with him in Lord of the Rings. I think it's his best role. And even for somebody like me, who I feel like something is broken inside me emotionally, that Rudy chant still gets me. It works. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Well, I gotta tell you, it's just occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name Rudy. At number five, I'm going with what you voted as the number one, Remember the Titans, which came out in 2000. We all know the story. We've all seen it at least a dozen times. And that was just in my history class alone in elementary school. And I love that in the case of Remember the Titans, a lot of what happened in the movie actually happened in real life. So unlike in the blind side where they took a lot of creative liberties, it stays pretty true to the real life story. What else do you need to say about it? At number five, I'm going with Remember the Titans. At number four, I'm going with The Little Giants. And family sports movies were so big to me in the 90s. Movies like Mighty Ducks, Angels in the Outfield, Air Bud, but this is the football equivalent of that. Not counting Air Bud, the golden receiver by any means. But I love it because it's the story of a group of misfits trying to take down these elite peewee football players coached by that elite team's brother. You have Ed O'Neill, you have Rick Moranis. What a 90s combo. So in a sea of all these peewee sports movies, I would even throw the Sandlot into this genre. They probably all got their inspiration from the Bad News Bears. That's essentially what the Little Giants is, but with football... And while this might not be the most acclaimed of all of Disney's live action kids sports movies, it's hands down my favorite and my number four football film of all time, Little Giants. At number three, I'm going with Friday Night Lights, which came out in 2004. I love this movie so much. It inspired me to want to play football. The key words being there to want to play football as much as I loved it growing up. It just wasn't in me. I wasn't into getting hit. I also struggled as a kid with losing so that's part of the biggest reason why I was never put into football as a kid I couldn't handle the losing but what I loved about Friday Night Lights it is such a great depiction of how important football is in a small community in Texas which is what I grew up in I grew up in Waxahachie Texas this movie is based in Odessa Texas I feel like so many parallels between the two where it seems like football is the only way out of a small town. The entire community revolves around it. And that's what Friday Night Lights is all about. That struggle, that disappointment, that defeat in high school sports and how getting beat in high school sports seems like the end of your life, the end of your career. It's all about a town, a team and a dream. And that is what Friday Night Lights is. And then you have one of my favorite 
Mostly comedic actors, but he's great in the drama. Billy Bob Thornton, Tim McGraw, Connie Britton. This movie is so good on so many levels. So at number three is Friday Night Lights. At number two, I'm going with The Longest Yard, but not the 1974 version. I just love the 2005 Adam Sandler that much more. Again, this is the movie I grew up with more than the original, even though there wouldn't be this movie without that movie. The plot is simple. It's the prison inmates taking on the prison guards. I just love the action once it gets to the actual game in this movie. It's so high-flying and so ridiculous. And I think when it comes to the best football movies, it all comes down to that big game. And out of any movie on this list, I think that one is the most anticipated because it's what the entire premise is all about. But it's also everything leading up to that. I love the friendship between Adam Sandler and Chris Rock. And his death in this movie still gets me a little bit. I love that they brought Burt Reynolds from the original one, who was actually a football star himself before he was even an actor. He was a great halfback, so there's so many things in this movie, and it just feels very 2005 to me, which I love. So at number two, I'm going with The Longest Yard. Before I get to my number one, there are a lot of honorable mentions. I could go on for days, and I know you will comment on social media saying, you forgot about this one, you forgot about that one. There are so many football movies, so if you didn't get yours in on the list on social media, you can still hit me up, find my socials in the episode notes. I would also throw in Wildcats from 1986, which is undeniably cheesy. But there's always a space in my heart for a nice cheesy movie. A couple I mentioned earlier in the highest grossing, Jerry Maguire from 96, Any Given Sunday from 1999. I'll shout out a relic from the 90s, the garbage picking, field goal kicking, Philadelphia phenomenon starring Tony Danza about a sanitation worker who ends up becoming the kicker for the Philadelphia Eagles. That movie just brings back a lot of memories for me. I could make an argument for the Silver Linings Playbook, which is my most controversial pick on social media. I still consider it a football movie. There's football in it. Bradley Cooper's character is a diehard Eagles fan, and I feel like that is essential to the story. Also, why are there so many movies about the Philadelphia Eagles? They're already in the Super Bowl again. Maybe that's why. Along those same lines, there's a movie called Big Fan, which came out in 2009, starring Patton Oswalt. If you're a fan of cringy movies, Patton Oswalt does them so well. In this one, he plays this hardcore giant fan who is just obsessed with the team and obsessed with this one player in particular and then gets beaten up by that player. So kind of a dark comedy, but I really enjoyed that movie. Also, the Eagles have movies. The Giants have movies. What's up with the NFC East having all these movies? So if that's the case, as a Cowboys fan, I have to mention North Dallas 40, which is based on the Dallas Cowboys and an inside look at the crazy life of NFL players in the 70s. What a time. So those are your honorable mentions, but my number one football movie of all time has to go to Varsity Blues, which came out in 1999. Even more so than Friday Night Lights, Varsity Blues, I felt, really got into the life of a teenager living in a small town, where in the same case, the entire community revolves around football. But this movie is obviously a lot more comedic. It's about a backup quarterback played by James Vanderbeek, who ends up having to step up and replace the star of the team after he gets injured. I think more so than Friday Night Lights, it hits you on an oddly different emotional level greatly coming from that speech at the end and how much small town life and how much this coach is just telling them that this game is everything the rest of their life is going to be pointless and if they don't win this game they're failures and it's James Vanderbeek's character having to rise above that and give my favorite speech in a sports movie 
Before this game started, Kilmer said, 48 minutes for the next 48 years of our lives. I say, off that, right? Let's go out there and we'll play the next 24 minutes for the next 24 minutes. And we'll leave it all out on the field. We got the rest of our lives to be mediocre, but we have the opportunity to play like gods for the next half of football. But we go out there and we give it absolutely everything. That's heroic. Let's be heroes. I feel like that speech is only rivaled by any given Sunday's and Al Pacino's declaration that football is a game of inches, much like life. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early. And you don't quite make it. So you have that speech, but also in Varsity Blues, you have Billy Bob, who is utterly hilarious and gives one of my favorite lines in any comedy. A tan! A tan! And you know what that is surrounding, if you've seen the movie. But not only that, I feel like Varsity Blues is a time capsule and truly is a representation of 1999 with the cast, James Vanderbeek, known from Dawson's Creek, but you also have Amy Smart and Paul Walker. The soundtrack is loaded with alternative music from Green Day, Collective Soul, Third Eye Blind. It's very much a representation of kind of that MTV generation in the 90s going from 1999 into the 2000s. This is kind of like the end of a part of my childhood in a way. Even though the movie came out when I was eight years old, it felt like the closing out of that decade, even though we maybe didn't even realize it at the time. And that is why I love this movie so much. So it has football, it has comedy, it has the 90s. At number one is Varsity Blues. It's the only movie that I will break my five scale rating system and give it a 10. A 10! A 10! It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
time now for a spoiler-free movie review. I want to talk about M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, one of my most anticipated movies of the year. Did it live up to the hype? I won't waste any time. I want to get right into this review. I actually just left the theater, just sat down to record this because I wanted to share with you my raw emotion. So before I get into my review of Knock at the Cabin, here's just a little bit of the trailer if you haven't heard or seen it yet. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. It's really happening. Sweetheart, close your eyes. Will you make a choice? You have to somehow trust us. We're normal people just like you. It doesn't matter. None of us believe you. We will never choose anyone. So what this movie is about, you have these two dads and their eight-year-old daughter who go out to a cabin in the middle of nowhere on vacation while the daughter is out playing. She is approached by Dave Batista's character, who is very ominous and starts talking about all these weird little concepts, starts out innocently enough, and then you see these other people emerge from the woods, and it gets pretty serious pretty quick, and that's really what I enjoyed about this movie. Oftentimes, when you get into anything in the horror, suspense, or mystery space, the first 20 minutes are always a little bit boring because they build all this backstory, but this one wastes no time. It trims all the fat right at the beginning and gets into the story and gets into the action, and I really respected this movie for that. And the way it got into the backstory was through flashbacks, which I think worked perfectly. But what the premise of this movie is, is these four people who come to this family present them with this really hard decision that they have to make. But what these four strangers are here to do is prevent the apocalypse. And they need these two dads, the daughter, as a family to make the decision. It's a really tough choice to make. I don't want to give away too much, but it will either prevent or cause the apocalypse. So the question it brings to you, the viewer, and the question I had running through my mind the entire time, what would I do? Would I save my family? Would I save the world? Would I believe these people who just showed up out of nowhere and seem like lunatics? And that is what the entire movie attempts to answer. And this movie has a pretty limited cast, so that means you have to have some really stellar performances in order for this movie to stand out. You really only have the three members of the family and the four mysterious strangers to carry this entire movie. So I put a lot of weight on their performances and also M. Night Shyamalan as a director to create this tension, which is really what makes this movie work. But I'll get to that tension a little bit later and how all the action played out without spoiling the movie for you, of course. But let's talk about some of the performances. I really sang his praises in Knives Out. I went on an entire rant how Dave Bautista is really solidifying his career as a legit actor. At least for me, he's been able to show a lot of range in the roles he's been taking on. Yes, he's done some action movies. Yes, he's done a little bit more cheesy movies. And I feel now that he is really kind of living up to his intentions of straying away from that and becoming a more serious actor. And him as this character Leonard in this movie, I feel like really cemented him as a serious actor to me. He's not just Drax. You can tell he didn't have a massive ego when going into this movie. And he really takes on the character he is playing. And I think that's a really hard thing for him to do because he has such big distinct features, all the tattoos, all the muscles. He is a massive human. You feel like you put him in a scenario like this. It would be hard as a viewer to see him as anything but that. But he is able to transcend that 
this character Leonard has a lot of depth. You can really feel some emotion in his performance and you really believe and buy into his backstory. So I felt like he was really the star of this movie. But then you have the daughter in this movie who was only eight years old while filming. Kristen Chui made her debut on the big screen and did it in such a commanding way. Again, she was only eight years old while filming this movie, but she was so articulate and so convincing. She completely crushed this role. Maybe that's due to M. Night Shyamalan and his ability to get a great performance out of a child actor. Just look at Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense. So, so a little bit of credit to him, but mostly credit to her for completely crushing her debut as an eight-year-old. And then you have the two dads in this movie, Andrew, played by Ben Aldridge, who I recently saw in Spoiler Alert. He was really good at showing raw emotion in this movie. I really felt his conviction and his love for his family and trying to protect them. I feel like that is the role that most of us would take on being thrown into this situation. And it could have been a role, it could have been emotions that you clearly could have overacted and ruined the entire movie, but he in no way messed that up. And then you also have... The other dad, Eric, played by Jonathan Groff, who I remember mostly as playing King George in Hamilton. And he did a really great job of playing the opposite type of personality as his partner and really added that balance and contrast that we needed as the viewer. You needed the one who was doing anything to save his family. And then you needed the one who was kind of questioning reality. And then you also have Rupert Grint, who you would know as Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. He played one of the armed strangers. I've been a fan of his work, even post Harry Potter. He hasn't done a whole lot of major roles, but I didn't really feel like he needed to convince me that he was a great actor outside of that. I already knew that. So you have all those great performances, but what really brought it together was the tension the movie was able to create. This story works because of that tension. With M. Night Shyamalan, there's always this fine line of something being good and awful. He is a very hit or miss director. And what I think what helped him in this movie is he kept it pretty grounded. I think what he did with Knock at the Cabin is what he tried to do with The Happening, which completely flopped. And as bizarre as the plot sounds, I never found myself questioning his choices or thinking this is completely ridiculous. So in all of the extremes in the movie, it still felt like it was very much based in reality. So the entire thing kind of played out like a dark fairy tale. So I think this is a movie you will either love or hate much like the rest of M. Night Shyamalan's work, but I think easily his best since 2016 with Split, which I liked. I didn't love that movie, but compared to some of his bombs previously, that was the last time I left the theater from an M. Night Shyamalan movie feeling like I didn't just get ripped off. And it's just crazy to me that after a string of hits starting in 99 with The Sixth Sense, going from that to Unbreakable, Signs, The Village, Say what you want about Lady in the Water. I still really enjoyed that movie, but it kind of began his decline because he followed that up in 2008 with The Happening, then The Last Airbender in 2010. And if that didn't completely wreck his career, he really went even further downhill with After Earth in 2013. I don't think he's necessarily back with this movie. I think some people really like old, his movie previous to this one. So I'm still on a case-by-case basis when it comes to his movies. I'm not saying he's back. I'm not saying I'm all in on his work. But I think he needed a hit for me to even be considering going to another M. Night Shyamalan movie after this. So this movie really worked for me. It's a polarizing movie. He makes polarizing art, but I think polarizing art is worthy of your judgment. So 
Take what you want from this review on whether or not you think this movie is for you. If you've been a fan, I would say, of his early work, those first four films that I still really enjoy, even re-watching them, I think they still hold up to today. If you were a fan of those movies, forget about some of that stuff in the middle and hop over to Knock at the Cabin. I think it is worthy of your time. I'm sitting here now within an hour and a half after watching this movie, and it's still kind of lingering with me, the after effects. I still kind of have that after movie glow of watching the very first good movie of the year, and that's what this movie is. It's the first movie I've seen so far this year that I'm telling people, you need to go see it. In my book, it is a noteworthy movie, and I found myself enjoying it from beginning to end. The movie is only an hour and 40 minutes, so it was to the point that I didn't want the movie to end. I wanted the story to keep going. I think that is a sign of a good movie. I love me a psychological mystery thriller. So this movie was right up my alley. And if you're into those as well, I think it'll do it for you. If I had to rate Knock at the Cabin, I would give it 4.5 out of 5 knocks. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. I've been meaning to talk about this movie trailer for a while now. It is called Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear. I just love saying the title of this movie. And I think in a world where movie titles are getting less and less creative, this is what I look for. I just want something that lets me know with two words exactly what I'm getting into because sometimes that influences my decision when it's just the something. It's like, okay, that's not that interesting. But Cocaine Bear, I hear that title and I want to know about it. And the fact that this was based on a true story and that title was just sitting there, just queued up to make a great movie. So this is a thriller slash dark comedy, kind of a little bit of a horror movie. But I think even my wife saw this trailer who doesn't like horror movies and said, I'm in on this one. It's about a 500 pound bear who consumed a significant amount of cocaine and goes on this drug fueled rampage. You have some crazy cops, you have some criminals, you have some tourists, you have some teenagers all in this Georgia forest that all encounter this Stay with me now, Cocaine Bear. So before I get into more of this trailer and this real life story, 
that inspired it. Here's just a little bit of the Cocaine Bear trailer. Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee. There's more of this out there. They dumped it somewhere. I'm looking for my daughter. Forest is a dangerous place. Hey, Henry, check it out. Something got into it. A deer, maybe. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. No, 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 don't eat that, don't eat that. Let's see what kind of effect that has on you. A bear did cocaine. So this movie was inspired by a true story that happened back in the 80s. And here is the actual newspaper article from December 1985. And it says a 175-pound black bear apparently died of an overdose of cocaine after discovering a batch of the drug, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation said today. The cocaine was apparently dropped from a plane piloted by Andrew Thornton, a convicted drug smuggler who died on September 11th in Knoxville, Tennessee, because he was carrying too heavy a load while parachuting. So in real life, the bear didn't actually go on a drug-fueled rampage. He was actually found dead in some mountains in Georgia, just south of the Tennessee border, but this movie is taking some creative liberties to give us a fun-filled movie. The trailer looks ridiculous and action-packed, but I think what will set this movie apart is that it has a good director, Elizabeth Banks, who is an accomplished actor, has been in movies like The Hunger Games, she was in all the original Spider-Man movies, has been in a lot of comedies like Zack and Miri Make a Porno, 40-Year-Old Virgin, and has got into directing recently. She was in the original Pitch Perfect and then directed Pitch Perfect 2 in 2015 and also directed the Charlie's Angels reboot in 2019. So this looks a lot different from her previous work and could quite possibly end up being her best. You also have some big names like Carrie Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and Ray Liotta, which this will actually be the last time we ever see Ray Liotta in a movie. That's a little bit sad, but also perfect in an odd way that this be his final film. I love Ray Liotta. I was sad when he passed away at the age of 67. You would know him from Goodfellas, Field of Dreams, but has been in so many movies over his career. I'm excited to see him in his final role. And I always like going into a movie knowing that it's not going to take itself completely seriously. And you get that sense from watching this trailer. I can't wait to see Pablo Escobar on the big screen. So this movie is coming out this month on February 24th. Again, say it with me, Cocaine Bear. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. But before I go, I got to give my listeners shout out of the week. This week, it is coming to us from Twitter. My boy, Matt Owens, who is on Twitter at Will ITV said, Mike Destro was going off about the whale. Awesome. Keep rocking. I've seen Nancy Cartwright a lot on TikTok and Reels. Sure would be a cool interview for a Mega Simpsons fan. Thanks, Matt, for listening to last week's episode quite possibly the most animated I've ever been on this podcast talking about the whale getting snubbed. So if you missed that episode, go back one in the feed. And I would love to have Nancy Cartwright on the podcast. I reached out to her one time, didn't hear anything back. She is the voice of Bart Simpson and so many more characters on The Simpsons. So I'm not giving up on that one yet. Working on some guests now for the podcast. But if you ever have a suggestion and more importantly, a lead on who I should get on the podcast, you can always send me info, moviemikeD at gmail.com. I have so many movies I want to talk about coming up. I still got to review You People on Netflix, Infinity Pool, 
Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is coming out on the 17th. So that inspires me to have so many movies that I can't get to them all on one episode. I also want to dedicate an entire episode breaking down James Gunn's announcement on all the movies and TV shows coming to DC. They're shaking up things big over there, so I'll probably get into that next week. I hope you have a great rest of your Monday or whenever you're listening to this podcast. And until next time, go out and watch good movies, and I'll talk to you later. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.